Hi, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Tom Solopek from Cross Asset Strategy. I'm joined by my colleagues, Pedro Martins, EM Equity Strategist, and David Azarkov, Senior Equity Strategist. We've been all been focused on what inflation has been doing. We've seen markets very excited by the pace of disinflation. And now the question is, where do, where do we go from here, given that we're worried that the pace of disinflation may be, may be slowing from here. And also with inflation expectations, kind of getting back to near where they were in the pre-COVID period, how much uplift there is from, from that going ahead. So, so let's hear first from, from Pedro, what are your worries in terms of inflation going up from here? And, and uh, you know, of course, we're, we're all noting the, the, the uptick in uh, supply chain pressure and, and shipping costs and, and this sort of thing. So what are your worries about it, inflation from here for your markets? Hi, Tom. Um, the road bumps for EM equities to outperform remain primarily driven by the U.S. exceptionism. So the famous dollar smile has been an obstacle for EM on two levels, growth and rates slash inflation. It seems that investors need to see the cycle completing in the U.S., GDP and inflation going lower to validate the cuts before a sustainable bid for EM equities emerges. So starting with growth, and then I get back to our inflation question. So as you know, JP Morgan forecasts this US GDP growth to significant decelerate into the second and third quarter of this year to near zero. So ex ante, this should drive the EM versus DM GDP growth to accelerate into 2024 and favor EM equities. Historically, this growth differential between EM and DM has been an important driver of the relative performance of the respective equity markets. Yet we sense that most investors might act exposed. Some of our clients that started 2023 underweight on US equities got burned. As such, they are more likely to act upon confirmation of US GDP deceleration rather than acting in an anticipatory manner. And the other part of our clients are concerned with a financial accident, given how fast real rates move up in the US and they would rather wait for this hypothetical risk-off event before adding beta to their global portfolios. Now, back to your inflation question. Its direction, it's critical at this juncture to encourage global investors to move assets from the U.S. to EM. But the odds of the U.S. or global core inflation continue to fall to near 2% are now seen kind of as even to those of inflation remaining persistently well above 2%. The recent disruptions in the Red Sea trade could add as much as 0.7 percentage points to annualized global core goods inflation into the first half of this year. And the realization of our forecast for growth resilience and sticky core inflation aligns with a more gradual mid-year uh, start uh, to the developed market season. So the elephant in the room uh, lies on the high opportunity cost for EM equities. On the short end of U.S. rates, our forecast remains that Fed funds rate might decline only mid-year. This creates a detour risk for EM equities. Instead of global investors diversifying U.S. equities exposure into international equities, they might opt to park the money in U.S. fixed income until they get better visibility on the macro cycle. On the long end of U.S. rates, the 2023 rise in the 10-year and 30-year bond yields point to the possible drivers of higher yields, real yields, uh, inflation expectations that, that could prove volatile, the U.S. fiscal deficit dynamics, maybe diversification away from the dollar, 
are among the most discussed topics with investors. And finally, to conclude these more concerning thoughts, uh, there is the expectation channel. The dollar curve aggressively priced for rate cuts, nearly six this year over 12 months, which is a bit more than JP Morgan forecasts. Back to you, Tom. So, Pedro, why don't you walk us through the kind of optimistic scenario for, for inflation from here as well? Now, let me give you the other view of this rather cautious introduction, right? So we strongly believe that positive optionality for EM equities might build throughout 2024 as the conditions for U.S. monetarism materialize and we phase out from the dollar exceptionally dollar strength. So under such conditions, long-standing positive drivers might become appreciated on the global asset allocation chessboard. Let me mention a couple. One, diversification from U.S. equities. So global investors lack confidence in the return for the U.S. equities given the EPS risk and the risk of derating. Number two, uh, the 2024 EM to DM relative growth acceleration. The emerging markets GDP positive growth gap to developed markets will reach 2.5% this year, accelerating from 1% last year. Number three, the low investor position. So global investors are below 6% allocated to EM equities, uh, reversion to historical allocation of 8.5% would represent inflows of close to $700 billion. And that's about 50% of the current AUM of EM-dedicated equities. Uh, next one, valuation. So we are, EM equities, trading at a wider than historical discount to develop markets both on forward P and price to book. And finally, simply the dollar weakness. So for each 1% lower broad dollar, Historically, the median advance on EM equities has been 3.5%. So it's kind of hold your horses, not extremely constructive now, but we see that optionality building. And uh, for now, we are using our risk budget to focus on endogenous investment cases, the overweight on India, Saudi, Mexico, and to gain indirect exposure to this EM GDP growth gap that is favorable via overweights in Brazil, Thailand, and Indonesia. Great. Thanks, Pedro. Let's hear from, from David right now. David, you're in Cape Town. Uh, I don't know. Can you see the Cape of Good Hope through your window? I can see Table Mountain, but um, yeah, I've got the mountain view, not the sea view. So life is still pretty good. Okay, very, very good. So, so uh, given the markets you cover, we often look to you for, for views on, on, on geopolitics. And this is really touching uh, exactly the stuff you look at with, with the shipping costs, shipping disruptions. And, you know, so what's your view on inflation, how it's feeding into your markets? I think there are a couple of things going on. When I divide my universe into my sort of MENA, Saudi, UAE, dollar-pegged countries, they actually want to see the strong dollar. They actually don't mind a little bit of US inflation if it keeps essentially the Fed from cutting and it keeps the dollar strong. When I look at my at markets like Turkey or South Africa, which really benefit when EMFX rallies, these guys really want inflation to come down so the Fed can start cutting. I think on the geopolitics side, though obviously GCC markets are in the eye of the storm. They're quite close to the Israel-Gaza conflict they're quite close to the, to the conflict in the Red Sea. So to a certain extent, they've been nervous, but to a very, very small extent. Saudi markets have had a great two and a half months. 
And there isn't much geopolitical risk premium, or it's not even geo, it's more local political risk premium built into the Saudi market. And so I think on a medium to long-term basis, we're still big bulls on Saudi, especially the mid caps. Saudi non-oil GDP growth for the rest of the decade should be faster than anywhere else in CEMIA and faster than anywhere in Latin America. So the long-term story is great, but I think in terms of the big rally that we've seen, the growing risks to, around regional conflicts, we are getting a little bit nervous on the near term in some of these uh, MENA markets. Thanks, David. Let, let's talk a bit about China right now. If we've had you know, these shipping costs jump up by uh, uh, many times, so if we've seen these uh, shipping costs jump, uh, the China deflation is kind of the counterweight to that. So, so Pedro, can you talk a bit about what's been the impact of, of China for your markets and maybe touch on both the, the, the macro and the equity risk premium, what it means for EM investing? Indeed, in China, inflation is not a topic of concern or a major focus of discussion, not a problem at all. I would start saying that there is some small appreciation from our clients on our tactical overweight China equity calls. Uh, and that's coming from the very strong quarterly GDP growth that will extend at least up until the end of this first quarter. And that's led by policy support. Full year 2024 GDP growth is going to be around five. Uh, it's also appreciated by the very low investor positioning expectations and to the fact that uh, MSI China is trading now at more than 1.5 standard deviation below historical average. And you know, historically, it has been there below one standard deviation only 15% of the time. Um, and we see sticky EPS growth in China around 15%. So that's the small appreciation part we get from that. But unfortunately, there is big pushback from clients uh, on the static overweight call. I would say foreigners do not want to go overweight China, and that's a general uh, thing to say. Few angles. On the equity risk premium front, uh, generalizing U.S. clients, based clients, there is institutional pressure uh, for the real economy, for the pension funds to have a measured China risk or less risk. Generalizing European clients, they fear the one-man show risk, so power centralization, yes, fellows around taking decision with a symmetry of information and making mistakes. And obviously, Taiwan is the line of descent. Um, and all in all these uh, discussions create a very high difficulty to calculate equity risk premium on geopolitics or domestic risks on the Beijing domestic pendulum, at times supporting, at times challenging local business. On the Institutional investing side, um, China high weight in the MSCI EM index further adds to the challenges to investing. And this has led investors to explore ex-China mandates or capping China weight in EM. Some clients are modifying investment mandates in EM towards 50% MSCI EM standard, 50% MSCI ex-China, which effectively means that China neutral weight is going to be halved. And uh, over the last year, tracking the AEM uh, equity mandates ex-China, they're growing very fast. There's already 44 of them and counting. The amount is small, but uh, surpassing $10 billion already. And finally, on the fundamental side, I think investors 
basically see that aside from policy support, temporary policy support, China potential growth is trending down towards 4%. And that uh, reflects the US-China conflicts through technology decoupling, the supply chain, uh, global relocation, geopolitical tension, so on and so forth. So this combination of uh, cyclical GDP acceleration in China, led by policy, but a structural negative view on equity risk premium, um, I think it basically invites investors to sell China into its strength and rotate into other zip codes in EM via two channels. EM growth compounders, India, Saudi, Mexico, Indonesia, and indirect exposure to China, GDP via Korea, tech supply, Brazil, Chile, Middle East, commodity supply, and Thailand tourism. Thanks, Pedro. So, so let's hear from David on the same question, which is the impact of, of China on your markets in, in terms of specifically touching on uh, this, this theme of deflation. And also uh, great to hear some of the local perspective you're, you're getting on the ground in South Africa. Right. A couple of things about South Africa. South Africa with an EM is as dependent on China as basically any other country. There are a couple of big caps in the index where China's the main market or, or where most of the assets sit. And China demand for commodities, particularly on the PGM side, but also iron ore and coking coal and manganese are big drivers for, for South Africa in terms of trade and for the currency. So I would say the number one, well, aside from US elections, the number one question I'm getting from investors in South Africa looking out at the world is what's going on with China? And I must say that our that there's not a lot of huge belief that China will be able to hit their 5% growth target. And there are some people who suspect even if GDP is reported as 5%, it won't feel like a real 5% growth story when it comes to things like commodity demand or consumer demand. So at least from the perspective uh, in as about, about as far south as you can get on the planet, there's a lot of skepticism towards the China growth story. Great. Thanks, David. Thanks, Pedro, for joining us. And thank you all for tuning in to JP Morgan TV.